Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. Yes, Father, it is by your Son's blood that we are saved. We can rejoice. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we uh, hear your word today, as we learn about these false teachers that will rise up in, in our midst, Lord, God, I pray that we would not lose hope, that we would not lose sight of, of where our forgiveness comes from, where the foundation of our faith is, and that's in Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so... I was running around a little bit today, so I forgot to put my microphone on. So, we're going to be dealing with this, which is okay. <laughs> How was everyone's week? Good? Good? Good. Yeah, mine was pretty good as well. We, uh, I don't know where this cord's going to end up. Here we go. My, uh, like I mentioned last week, my basketball team had lost, and so I don't have basketball going on right now, which I love doing it, but also I need a break. So I'm glad that I don't have to be doing that now. Uh, girl soccer has started. So that means <laughs> Andrea and I, uh, what was once my evenings filled up with basketball is now filled up with soccer. Uh, but I, again, I enjoy doing it. It's awesome. I love being able to do it with my wife. Um, you know, she, she's, uh, how I've been describing it to people is because she's an administrator there and most of the girls have her as a teacher and as their administrator, uh, she's sort of the enforcer. Um, which is awesome because like they're middle school girls and so if I was to stand there right and they were like oh I'm not feeling well I can't do this I'll be like uh, okay you know right I guess I have a soft spot for 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 the girls but Andrea is like oh yeah we'll go throw up in the trash can right now then if you don't feel good if you don't feel good prove it right and so she she knows how to how how to look through their lives right some of them will be like oh I'm really hurt right and she's like oh we'll go get a cast what are you doing you know um, and so she's a bit of the enforcer, and I'll hear her doing it, and I was like, yes, you tell them, right? Um, and so some, some girls have quit because, you know, we're, we're like, hey, if you don't like to run, soccer's not for you. Uh, it's just the truth, right? And so uh, we've had a couple girls quit, but most we still have like 16 on the team. Um, so it's awesome. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. So the week has been good. Uh, it hasn't been fun because we have to practice in the gym because it's been snowy and cold outside. Uh, but next week, Lord willing, we're able to go outside so we can look forward to that. Well, we're going to continue our series in 1 Peter. Okay, we're going to continue and see what Peter uh, wants to inform us about. He wants to give us more knowledge, right? That's sort of the theme of this book is growing in knowledge. So the last two weeks, we had been looking at knowledge to help us be prepared for false teachers. What can we do? What is our best defenses? How can we be prepared for false teachers? We saw that in uh, that knowledge of our faith in week one, right? So two weeks ago, we looked at our faith and what that knowledge looked like, the faith in a person, right? And, and, and all those details that Peter listed through to say, hey, you need to have knowledge of your faith. And we know this word knowledge is gained through experience, not just a intellectual knowledge. Then last week, we saw knowledge of the word, right? And we said that those two things, knowledge of our faith and knowledge of the word, were two of the greatest defenses we can have against false teachers, Today, we are now going to have a look at these false teachers and gain some knowledge on who these false teachers are. 
How many of you know who Sunju is? Anyone know who Sunju is? He's, does anyone know the book Art of War? That might be a little more familiar, may not know who wrote it, but Sun Zhu, uh, he was the author, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but that's how I think it's pronounced. Uh, he authored the book Art of War, and there was this, uh, he was a general uh, in the Chinese army that, that uh, was, was br a brilliant strategist, okay? He, he, his whole goal, right, to win battles was not by just brute force, but to use the mind to defeat his opponent. So many leadership classes, many uh, organizations, right, they, they use quotes from this book many times. One of the qu quotes from this book is, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that our battle isn't against flesh and bone, but it is instead a spiritual battle. Right? It's against the powers that be. It's not against flesh and bone. So what, I, what we want to look at today is we're going to take a look at the instruments that these spiritual forces will use to make war against us. Okay? And as we look at these false teachers, one thing we have to remember is that our war is not against flesh and bone. Right? We're fighting against these false messages. Okay? And we're fighting against the powers that be. And so keep that in mind as we're looking at, at some individuals that I may point out and as, the, as we look at these characteristics. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that as we read it, we can gain knowledge of ourselves. We can have a greater understanding of the faith that you have given us. We can have a greater understanding of your word. And as we looked at last week, at the, at, or at two weeks ago, at the moment of salvation, you have given us everything that we need to have a successful Christian life, the Holy Spirit and the word. So, Father, I pray that we'll continue to look at ourselves and grow in knowledge of ourselves. But as we read in that quote, knowledge of ourselves isn't just enough. We need to also understand the enemy. So, Father, I pray as we take a look at these false teachers, that we will do so with, with a heart of understanding, knowing that, hey, we are fighting a spiritual battle, and that some will be led astray. But we know that your sheep listen to your voice. So, Father, as we look at these, I pray that you will speak to us, that the Holy Spirit will instruct us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so first off, I want to look at some characteristics of false teachers. Some characteristics of false teachers, okay? Uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. But false prophet, prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with, uh, you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So what we see here is that he's carrying on from the end of chapter 1. Okay, so what, 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 how did we end chapter 1? Anyone remember? Anyone recall? You can look a, a paragraph up, right? We were, we were saying and talking about how the word is given by the Holy Spirit. 
And so we can use it as a light because it is given by the Spirit, not by man. And so in the Old Testament times, prophets would come up, right, and speak the word. And so verse 21 in chapter 1, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see prophets rising up in the Old Testament, but while those prophets were arising, we also see throughout the Old Testament that there were false prophets. There were many false prophets. Uh, in 1 Kings 18, we see the prophets of Baal. Right? These were false prophets. Uh, in Numbers chapters 22 to 24, we see Balaam. He was a false prophet. And we're going to look at Balaam a little bit longer, but we also know that it wasn't only in the Old Testament that there have been false prophets. Actually, throughout history, there have been these false prophets. Has anyone heard of the name Harold Camping? Does anyone know who Harold Camping is? Okay, Dick does great. I, I figured maybe some people would. Well, he had predicted the end of the world at least 12 times. And it wasn't like he was just sitting at home making these predictions and no one knew about it. No, it was like national news, headline news. Okay? His last prediction was that the world would end on October 24, 21st, 2011. That was the last time he predicted. So after about 12, 13 times, he was like, maybe I should stop. All right? Uh, he ended up dying a couple years later. Uh, does anyone know who Chen Tao is? Chen Tao, that might be a little tougher. His name, he also went by True Way. So this was a religious movement that blended elements of Christianity, Buddhism, UFO conspiracy theories, and Taiwanese folk religion. So they, just, they pretty much got everything in there. And Chen preached that God would appear on U.S. television, Channel 18, on March 25, 1988, to announce that he would descend to earth the following week in a physical form identical to Chen's. So, talk about being selfish, right? He's like, he's going to look just like me, okay? So he's predicting these things. Well, what we're seeing here is that Peter warns and gives us a warning for false teachers. See, we have the word of God, and people will see that false prophets are proven wrong. Right? Over time... They're wrong. See, the prophecy of men will not come true, but the prophecy of God is what comes true. But the false teachers, I think, are more of a threat. And I think that's why Peter begins to warn us about that, because Satan goes from using false prophets to using false teachers. And many people will be led away by false teachers, and they'll never know it until death. And so false teachers, what will happen is that they will creep in unnoticed and lead many away. So we need to look at their description, all right? We need to be aware of what these individuals look like. First thing we need to look at is that these false teachers will be deceitful. So chapter 2, verse 1, it reads, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So a false teacher is one that knows what is right and are teaching what is wrong instead. That's the description of a false teacher. They know what is right, but instead they choose to teach what is wrong. And in fact, these teachings will cause divisions and strife among believers. So that word heresy with destructive heresies, that word heresy means to make a choice or to have a sect or a party, to cause divisions so these false teachers, what they'll do is uh, they will deceive people and cause others to follow them. And they will say, do you believe me? 
or do you believe the pastor? You got to make a choice. And they'll cause these destructive, deceitful heresies to, to rise about among the people. They will also not only teach a lie, but they'll actually enter into a congregation through lies. So verse 3, uh, it says false words. That, 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 that is translated in the Greek as plastos. Where do you, what word do you think we get from that? Plastos. Plastic, right? The words that they will say will mold to whatever is necessary for that time. It'll mold and it'll, it'll lead people astray and deceive people. They may, uh, you know, they, the church may ask them questions. What do you believe about the resurrection? What do you believe about Jesus? And they'll say things that they know the hearers want to say or hear. But then, like plastic that can be molded and changed, and that's fake, it will begin to change over time to produce deceitfulness and to produce something that is glorifying to themselves. So we'll see, first off, that these teachers will be deceitful. Secondly, we'll see that they'll be deniers. Verse 1 continued, it says, Even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So they may claim to be Christians and to love God and Jesus. They may say all the right things, but they will deny the word and what the Christian faith is built upon. They may say that they're Christians, but in fact, when it really comes down to it, they'll actually deny the foundation of our faith. Has anyone heard of Sun Huang Moon? Yes? Who said yes? Yes, right? Sun Huang Moon. He was a founder of the Moonies, um, which was a, uh, really a cult. Uh, well, what he would do is he established himself, and he had this whole doctrine, uh, and, and, and it was very confusing, but I think I got the gist of it. Pretty much what he had said, that Jesus was the Messiah. He came, and he was the Son of God, and he was the Messiah. But his goal was to produce a new perfect people. So him and Mary Magdalene were supposed to have children that were the perfect race that would take over the earth. And so uh, the Moonies, they believed that Jesus failed. When he died on the cross, he failed because he wasn't supposed to die. So, Sun Huang Moon said that he is now the second coming, that he is now the Savior, and so that he will produce this perfect generation. He will have children and produce this perfect generation. Well, guess what happened to Sun Huang Moon? He died, right? See, these false teachers, they are unsaved individuals. They're not, they're not Christian. They may claim to be. They can make all the claims that they want, but when they teach and follow, but they will teach and follow another gospel that is not our gospel. And so we have to be careful. We have to look to see if they're deceiver, deceivers. We have to also look to see if they are deniers, right? Because there is no new revelation or there's no new additions that will be made to this book. And yes, there may be disagreements on, on fine points of doctrine. Okay, so don't, don't feel like if you disagree with someone, all of a sudden they're a false teacher. But we must be in agreement on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so if they're denying those facts, we need to be cautious of this individual and understand that they may be a false teacher. So not only are they deceitful, not only are they deniers, but they will also be sensual with their teaching. They will appear more to, they will appeal more to the flesh than to the spirit. Their teachings will appeal more to the flesh than the spirit. 
Jude verse 4 says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. If you want to have a good understanding and description of what false teachers would look like, Second Peter and the book of Jude pretty much sum them up great. And there's a lot of similarities in those two books because they're similarities in the false teachers, right? That there's nothing new under the sun, as, as it said. These teachers, what they want to do is satisfy their own lust and do so under the disguise of religion. So they, they, they have desires, that, these lustful desires of their flesh, and they do so in the name of religion. And many people will decide to follow after them because they desire the flesh, even if that means choosing a lie over truth. They will desire these lies over what is in fact true because it, it, it fills, fulfills their desire of the flesh. Titus 1, verse 15 through 16 reads, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detest detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They can look at scripture and say, oh yeah, the Bible says don't do this, right? Don't partake in these things, and then they continue to do so. So you can, you can tell a false teacher because of their deceitfulness, because they're deniers, but also their sensuality. And the last thing is that they are greedy. Verse 3, it says in Second Peter, And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, with these plastic words. Micah 3.11 reads, uh, Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. See, they may say things that, that it's all about money. And how can they further their own gains? And they do all these things with the mask of religion. It's interesting, at the end of this verse it says, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. See, they'll make these claims, right? They'll do it and they'll say, yes, we are Christian. Yes, we follow God. Yeah, Jesus is awesome. They'll do these things and they'll say these things, but it's just to gain more money, right? It's false words. It's these plastic words. How can I manipulate these people to give me more? And they'll claim to be on the Lord's side and they'll, they'll be uh, prideful enough to say, no disaster shall come upon us. But what do you think the verses that follow these verses in Micah talk about? the disasters that come upon them. See, we know that a laborer is deserve, deserves his wages. All right, we see that in 1 Timothy. We see that multiple times, okay? And so uh, if a pastor is getting paid, if a missionary, whatever it may be, right, the Bible talks about a laborer is deserved of his, his payment and his wages. So it's not just because someone makes money that they're a false teacher. But in fact, it is the motivation behind that. Is their ministry Christ-driven? Are they doing so because, because Christ is calling them to do this, because they desire to reach the world? Or is it driven by money? Do they see this, this opportunity, this ministry, as something that can further their own selfish gains? So those are some descriptions of these false prophets. They'll be deceitful. They'll lie to get into the midst 
of the, of the congregation. They'll be deniers. Okay, they'll be sensual. They'll say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but their works don't proclaim that. And we'll also see that they'll be greedy. That'll be for their own financial gain that they go through with these ministries. So that was the characteristics and kind of a description of false teachers. Peter now talks about the destruction of false teachers. Continuing verse 3, it says, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. God will hold these men accountable. God will hold these false teachers accountable. Their destruction is not asleep. So Peter, he gives three examples from the old times of false prophets and and of, of times that God did not hold back destruction when people thought maybe they were above that. So the first one was with the angels. Verse 4, it reads, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So we know that the devil led an uprising against God. Right? He, he felt like he was either equal to God or greater than God, and so he had led an uprising. Now, we don't have a whole lot of info on this. Okay, there are passages in Scripture that some people believe are, are specifically referring to this. Um, some passages some people may believe are prophetic. Uh, so we don't have a whole lot of definite information about this. Uh, we don't all actually know about uh, all the angels, right? But we know that in general, Satan viewed himself as greater than God. That's what we can be confident in. And in fact, he chose to deceive Adam and Eve into thinking the same thing. So Satan had this thought that he could be like God or be greater than God, and he tried to deceive Adam and Eve into believing the same law, lie. That in fact, yes, no, God doesn't want you to eat these because you'll die. He, want, he doesn't want you to eat this fruit because you'll be like him. And God is a, is a jealous God that just, he doesn't want that. He wants to be the only one. Well, we know that God held these angels and Satan and even Adam and Eve accountable to what they did. He held them accountable. So what makes us, or maybe these false teachers, think that we will not hold, that God will not hold these false teachers or ourselves accountable? God has done it in the past. The second example that God, or that Peter uses is the flood Verse 5, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into the hell and committed them into judgment. Oh, that's not the right verse. Verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So God destroyed the ancient world with a flood because of their wickedness, because of their sin. When you read through that passage that we see in Genesis, it says that God waited 120 years and gave them opportunity after opportunity to repent. All right, that was Noah's purpose. He was building the ark and he was warning the people of this flood, of this distraction or this destruction that will take place. But in fact, many of them scoffed at him. They scoffed at the idea of a flood. A flood, right? See, we don't know if there was these little local floods. I doubt there was because they were so against it that they had no idea what was about to happen. They scoffed at those things. And Peter tells us in the end times, right, as we get closer to when Jesus returns, many will scoff at the idea of Jesus returning. They'll say, well, where is he? Right, I thought it was going to be soon. Where is he? Same with the flood. Where's the water? 
But God will hold those that scoff at this word accountable. He will hold them accountable for their sins. And the third example he uses is Sodom and Gomorrah. If, in uh, verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So despite Lot's last-minute warning, right, and in and, and Abraham's intercessory prayer, the people would be destroyed. They rejected the message of salvation. They rejected it. See, they thought they were completely safe. They had no reason to, to, to believe that they needed saving. But in fact, only Lot and his family were the ones to be saved from it because the others had rejected it. But not only do we see destruction when there's false teachers about, but we also see deliverance. We see deliverance in the midst of this destruction. Verse 5, it says, Preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others. In verse 7, And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. See, God had the door open for repentance. God loves to forgive. But only his true children will follow after him. This door was open in the flood to 120 years, but only, the, the, only seven followed after him. John 10, 27 reads, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. See, we may have some Christians that may be led astray for a moment, but they will return. There will be deliverance in it if they, if, they, if they are genuine and seek after Jesus. True believers will find deliverance when these false teachers come around. They will find salvation. So just as our deliverance is sure, so is their destruction. In verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So we looked at these descriptions of false teachers. They'll be deceitful, they'll be deniers, they'll be sensual, greedy. We see that God has their destruction already in place. That God will not withhold destruction from the unrighteous, but he will deliver us. So the next thing Peter wants to mention is that, is that, that there's condemnation of the false teachers. He wants to specifically look at the sins that these false teachers have committed and will commit. So Peter now condemns these false teachers of three specific sins. The first one, found in verse 10 and 12, is reviling. Starting in verse 10, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of, insti of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. So these false teachers, okay, and, and we may not have the, the specifics of what they're saying, but they have chosen to speak out against positions of authority that I think Peter mentions in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. And then verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So these men, they have no regard for authority, and they have chosen to put themselves above all authorities. They have chosen to put themselves even above God's authority. 
See, we can see that. If, if you find someone that has this, this uh, sort of this rebellious nature, right, when it comes to every, every form of authority, be cautious of that individual. These false teachers, yes, they will claim to have authority over, and they'll do so in the name of religion. But ultimately, they think that their authority is higher than God's as well. Uh, the, the, uh, the New Testament, when we're reading about Jesus' time and the Jewish people, they had traditions. And the Jewish, t- Jewish people today, they even elevate their traditions above the word of God still. Because man wants to view himself as equal or greater than God. And so their tradition, their words have greater power than what God's word says. We also see in these verses that they also blaspheme the glorious ones. Verse 10 and 11 says, Bold and willful they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So within the context of these verses, it seems like they've begun to even speak out against angels and fallen angels. They begin to speak out against them. But what we see here is that the angels, right, who are greater in power, okay, so those that are in heaven, right, they're greater in power than we are, right, and they have a better position in heaven than those of the fallen angels. We see that these angels, they won't even speak out against the fallen angels. Going back to the book of Jude, verse 9 and 10, it says, But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. The reason why the angels don't speak out, even though they have greater power, even though they have greater position than these fallen angels, the reason why they don't speak out against them is because judgment belongs to the Lord. But these false teachers, they'll speak out. They'll speak out against all powers, and and they'll say, yes, in fact, no, I can't be touched as we saw in Micah, right? I'm with the Lord. Who's, what's going to happen, right? I'm nothing. I'm with the Lord. They will speak blasphemous things. But we need to understand that judgment belongs to the Lord. And they do these things. They make these blasphemous statements with pride and with arrogance. That's what verse 10 says with bold. They're bold and willful when they do so. But I love how God describes them, how Peter describes them here. It says their voices are like animals, and their end will also be like animals. Uh, there's a, it was at my old place. I haven't really done this recently, but uh, where Andre and I used to live, I would walk around the neighborhood a little bit, uh, and people would have yards, right? Fenced in front yards. Well, there would be times that I'm walking, just minding my own business, right? And a dog would just come out of nowhere, right? And just jump on the fence and just go nuts, right? Just barking and slobbering and just, and, and just losing their mind, right? And I'm just walking. I'm not doing anything. Right? This dog has no idea what it's, what it's talking about. To this dog, maybe I'm trying to steal their family's prized possession. I don't know. Right? This dog has no idea what's happening, but he's just blurting out, just barking. He's in no control of it. See, these false teachers, they will be super loud at making this big sin. But they have no idea what is going on. See, they will make these claims and they will make these blasphemous statements and they'll be so arrogant about it, but they really don't know the truth. Right? It's just like a dog barking that has no clue 
what's going on. These, these false teachers will do the same. So like an animal that is out of control and must be put down, so these false teachers will find their demise at the hands of God. But it is up to God for that judgment to happen, not us. Yes, we can speak out. We can speak the truth. We have to proclaim this word. But that judgment is for God. He is the one that brings about destruction. So that's their first sin is their reviling. The next one is their revelry. Next one is their revelry, verse 13 through 14. It says, suffering wrong is the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. These teachers, they will publicly be proud of and actually proclaim their lies. They'll be proud of it. It won't be something that they do behind closed doors. It will be something out in public. They revel in their own deception. They have been deceived, and they celebrate it. They proclaim it to the world. See, they know that it's a lie what they believe, but yet they still proclaim it. Verse 13, it says, they feast with you. Who's that talking about? The church. It says these false teachers that they, in fact, will feast with you. Well, we see in the church today that there's many Lutheran, there's many Methodist churches that have promoted and, in fact, praised homosexual behavior. Right? Well, you, can, you can drive by some, uh, some Methodist churches and they will be waving gay pride flags. They'll even host meet and greets with their homosexual clergy. See, these are false teachers, but they're not some obscure, strange cult. Right? They're not some UFO conspiracy believing type stuff, for the most part. These are what we would consider in some ways brothers and sisters. They are those that claim to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it means that they feast with you. They have crept into the church. And don't let their, uh, their, their, their tickling words, right? Words that are pleasing, words that are suitable to the times that we live in. Don't let them deceive you. Don't let them be led astray. Let the word be your guide, not them. These false teachers, they completely lust after sin and they are driven by greed. They'll ask themselves, what does the world today accept? And how can I capitalize on it in the name of Christ? These false teachers, they, they're, they're deceiving themselves. But God tells us how he feels about their revel, revelry. In the last two words, they're accursed children. God is not proud of them. God isn't like, you're doing your best. They are accursed in his eyes. So the first thing we saw was their reviling. The second thing was their revelry. The third is their rebellion. It's verse 15 and 16. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrong, wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So in Numbers 22 to 24, okay, we read a story of Balak, the king of Moab, and Balaam, a prophet. Okay, and, I, and I'm just going to run through the story real quick, but it says that Balak, 
he saw the people of Israel, he saw the Jewish people, and he was afraid of them. Okay, he was afraid that they would rise up and, and try to take him over. And so Balak sent for a prophet named Balaam. Okay, and he said, hey, come and speak curses against these people so that I may defeat them. So the first time Balak does this, Balaam refuses. Okay, he's like, let me go see what God wants. God says no. And so he refuses to do so. Well, the men return back to Balak, and Balak is like, well, let's go bring, let's bring more money. Let's bring greater riches to him. So, so Balak's men show up to Balaam with, with even more money, even more riches. And Balaam sees this, and he begins to think, well, I'm gonna, I'll ask again. right? Maybe God didn't understand how much you were talking. And so I'm going to ask again. And so God gives Balaam this choice. He says, okay, go with them if you think that's the right way. And Balaam decides to follow because of his greed, because he looked at the riches he was going to obtain, and so he went with those men to Balak. And so God was angry with him. Balaam deliberately abandoned the right way and went astray, all because of greed. Now, as the story goes, it's very interesting, right? Uh, a, uh, um, he rides the donkey, right? And there's the angel of the Lord standing in the road, and he can't see it, and the donkey's back and way, back and way, and he's beating the donkey to keep going. And the donkey's like, cut it out! I'm trying to save your life! Right? And so he, he continues with this uh, abandonment, right? This rebellion towards God. And he goes to Balak, and he says, I'm going to speak what God has me to speak. That's what he continues to say. But instead of pronouncing curses against the people of Israel. Balaam couldn't control it, and he could only speak blessing. He could only speak blessing. He had no control of his tongue. So he tried what he could to curse the people of Israel, but in the end, he did tell Balak how to defeat them and to cause them to fall. What he said was to send in the temple prostitutes, to invite them to be involved in the the, the, the worship, the orgies that are continuing in your temples. Invite them, and they will fall for it. See, what we see with Balaam here is he actually committed the two areas that we've really looked at, greed and following after lustful sin, sensuality. And he, he began, and he told Balak, and he was ultimately leading the people of Israel into these lusts and into these desires for the flesh. So like Balaam, these false teachers know the right way but they deliberately lead others astray for their love of money and their love of the flesh. So Peter has condemned these teachers of three sins, reviling, reveling, and rebellion. And all of those three sins, they stem from greed and from selfish desires. It's all about them. In the last days, there will be an abundance of false teachers. They'll be pleading for support. They are gifted and experienced when it comes to deceiving people and getting their money. They'll know exactly what to say. It is important that God's people be established in the truth, in the knowledge of our faith and the knowledge of the word, so that we can detect when scriptures are being twisted and people are being exploited. So not all these religious frauds, not all these false teachers, right? They're not going to all be discovered and put out of business on this world but God will one day deal with all of them. That's why it's so great for us to know what we believe. It's so great for us to have a great knowledge of the word and of our faith because when those false teachers do rise up, when they're leading many astray, we can lead them back to Christ and say, this is not what the word of God says. 
right? This is, this is all for greed. This is all for selfish gain. So next week, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the message of these false prophets. Then we're going to look at our message and compare those two things. And we're going to see what God wants us to do when it comes to these false teachers and preparing. So let's pray. Father God, you warn us of many things in this book. And unfortunately, like children that are warned to not put their hand on the hot stove, sometimes we put our hand on the hot stove. Lord, help us to to receive this warning and to heed it. To grow in knowledge of who you are and of what you said to us so that one day we can proclaim the truth against false teachers. Lord, help us to not be led astray by, by selfish gain, by the love of money, by our lustful desires. Help us to be, to be gentle and show love and to teach truth to those that are being led astray. And Father, help us to, to be confident in knowing that just as the destruction of the false teaser, teachers is true, that deliverance of your children is true. Father, we pray that this week will, uh, will be a time for reflection on your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Psalm 62, 5 through 7. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God.